Hello and welcome to today's Vijay Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In this podcast series, you will hear from leading experts who share their highlights from the 2022 ASH annual meeting and exposition, which was held in New Orleans, Louisiana. In today's podcast, you will hear from Yi Lin and Krina Patel, who discuss updates in multiple myeloma, highlighting the ever-growing role of CAR-T therapy, the sequencing of immunotherapies, clinical trial updates, and more. But Krita, it's so good to see you in person this year at ASH. And, um, you know, we've had FDA-approved CAR-T for multiple myeloma for more than a year and a half now. And I know you're one of the co-leads for the U.S. Myeloma CAR-T Consortium. And you guys have some abstract that are being presented this year at ASH. Would you like to share the data from what we're seeing in real world practice? Yeah, thank you. So I, I think because we've had such a limited amount access to CAR-T, this has been a great way to have different centers come together and, and use its retrospective. So of course there's limitations, but to see what's happening in the real world, right? Are our patients doing just as well as clinical trial patients? Are our patients even similar to the clinical trial patients? Because we know in the real world, um, our myeloma patients have lots of other issues like kidney disease or their counts are too low or they've had prior BCMA therapy. And we need to know how to use these therapies when they become approved. Um, optimally in the real world. So just, we have five different abstracts, so go see all of them. But the main, the big ones that I'm really excited about, um, there's a BCMA sequencing, which again, we don't really have a lot of data on, and there's some prospective studies that show this, but um, what do we do with patients who've had prior BCMA? Can they get CAR-T? And I think, you know, we had about 50 patients that we were able to see that, that had two BCMA therapies at least. And response rates in general um, were, comparable if you didn't if you're BCMA naive it was about 88% which is similar to the CAR T uh, trial for Karma however for patients who got IDASL that had prior BCMA response rates actually dropped to the 70s um, so low 70 rate so almost 10-15% lower than if you were BCMA naive and, and what comes out of it looking at all the data is that prior BCMA by specifics, small number of patients, again, limited, you know, limitations, but PFS, even though it was a 70% response rate or so, PFS is a lot lower at 2.8 months. So the, the question comes up, does it, is it T-cell health? Is it more of the BCMA, you know, antigen? And so the other thing that trended was that if you waited six months in between those two, you actually did better um, in terms of PFS. So again, it's not a hard and fast of what we do next, but at least initial, learnings of what should we be doing in our trials to really know how to optimize the sequencing of these therapies, right? So I think it's, yes, BCMA is still the best option after BCMA because other things have a 30% response rate, but can one way be better than the other, um, which is open in the air. And then the other two main ones, um, I would say there's one um, on racial um, uh, differences and disparities with myeloma outcomes that we're gonna talk about today. Um, and again, just access, number one, to make sure we're actually getting therapies to the patients that we should be getting to, because myeloma is more common for African-American patients. And then are outcomes different? Are there 
differences in the disease of the patients who were coming in. Um, so for black patients, we actually saw great response rates, very comparable. PFS was comparable. Patients were younger, you know, things that we already know. Um, with Hispanic patients, we actually saw a, per, you know, a PFS that was a little bit lower. Now, these patients were much more treated, um, so there are some explanations of why, but I think a great way to start to really look at, you know, what, what we, should, we should be doing as a community. Um, and then the last one I'll talk about is renal insufficiency, because again, myeloma patients tend to have uh, kidney disease, and older patients tend to have low creatinine clearance. Um, and I think Serbia Sedana does a great job with looking at fludarabine and dosing, and is it possible to even give CAR-T? And so far, it was safe, and patients have had a really good response rate that's comparable to those who don't have renal insufficiency. So just great real-world data to say, how do I do this? Because we get these questions all the time, right, Absolutely. from the community. What do you do? Can you, can you take this patient to CAR-T? Um, and now we have data to, to at least support it. Those, that's really awesome because these are information that are so relevant to our patient population that we couldn't really reference yet from the, from the registration study. So that's wonderful. And also I think, you know, during this time where it's very challenging in terms of CAR-T manufacturing slot access and, you know, we've had food therapy shortages in thinking about how we might be prioritizing patients, you know, who might most likely benefit um, from this, which is so important as well. Yeah. Um, are there things that you're excited about at ASH this year? Yeah, so I think the other big thing um, is, you know, really moving forward with these CAR-Ts. And I think, you know, being able to Relapse refractory, you know, I think it, it's a hard population, fifth line, to really get these, these therapies to, and especially our high-risk patients they don't get to fifth line, right? They're falling apart by then, or unfortunately they've passed away from complications, from myeloma or um, from the treatment itself. And so um, there's two different studies being presented. Um, Karma 2 is being presented for high-risk patients, and 2A is the cohort that actually got CAR-T in second line, but the patients relapsed within 18 months of induction therapy, so functional high-risk group. Now, 50% of these patients did have high-risk cytogenetics, um, and, and they do look like they're high-risk patients. Um, but some patients we know we might not have biomarkers to know that they're high risk until they relapse. And so um, it kind of tells us a little bit that we don't know everything yet as to who really is high risk or not. Um, and these patients got, you know, CAR-T in second line um, before they necessarily had DARA. So, you know, earlier lines, less um, exposure to different treatments. Um, and again, the PFS for these patients was, you know, close to a year um, and pretty phenomenal for high-risk patients. I, you know, we don't have the PFS one yet, but I can say that the depth of response, um, there was a difference. So the patients who, in their first line, their, uh, their CR rate or better was about 22, 23%. Um, but with CAR-T, the depth of response of CR or better was about 42, 43%. So almost, almost twice as much, right? Um, which we know that depth of response usually means a better um, PFS and, and better outcomes. I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens after the fact in terms of survival, because we know CAR-T changes survival for patients, and that's really what we want to see for these high-risk patients, that we were able to do something to change their myeloma to where now hopefully they'll they'll get treat other treatments down the road. Um, it's not a cure, but still, I think, pretty fantastic data when we don't have baseline data yet, right? 
Um, and then I think cohort 2C is a poster looking at patients who got consolidation with CAR-T after transplant, if they had less than a VGPR. So maybe not the most high risk patients, but still patients who didn't get that optimal response. Um, and again, you know, great response rates. And the patients who got LEN, it was 100% response rate. And all those patients are still two year PFS is 100%, right? So just some data that tells us maybe IMID combination with CAR-T really helps the expansion. And that's the other thing. That's a big thing that the, the CAR-T's expanded in all the patients, because we always had this question that if you only have a little bit of myeloma, will CAR-T work? Will they, you know, will they find that little bit of myeloma? And here we were able to prove that they do expand, right? So, and then CARTITUDE 2, again, they've presented this data before, but um, they looked at patients who are also early, you know, high risk, um, early relapsers, and again, 100% response rate, um, PFS not reached yet, so pretty phenomenal. Um, side effects, toxicity-wise, no major toxicity yet, but I think we need longer PFS to, to, for all of these studies. Um, and then their other big study was the prior BCMA cohort C, which they were able to show, again, that they have great responses, <laughs> if they've had an ADC or um, a bispecific before, but overall um, PFS does drop. So again, you know, we know that their PFS wasn't reached for all their patients, but if you got a prior bispecific, it actually drops to 8.8 .8 months. So there is something there that we know that we need to learn about the sequencing. Yeah, well, and that's, you know, what a lot of us has been hypothesizing, right, with this a modality of treatment being living cell, living immune cell treatment that uh, moving it into earlier line would be very, very important. And it sounds like we are seeing some of these signals in terms of encouraging maybe more depths of response. And so um, that's very, very exciting early data, you know, more follow up to see. And the other um, important question that I'm hearing both from your real world consortium uh, work and also with all this clinical trial activities, right, is we have a lot of excitement with BCMA, um, and we have teclizumab just approved, and a lot of bispecific data also this year, and we're seeing how CAR-T and bispecific both are being studied into earlier line. So really the question is going to be, and also some signal in terms of that sequencing and how that would impact um, you know, another follow-up BCMA, whether you're doing CAR-T and bispecific or vice versa. So I think it's really exciting this year too that we're seeing data now with other targets. Right. And so last year we have seen some data with the GPRC5D CAR-T to MCAR-H109. Now that was a single center experience, but this year we'll hear from uh, Dr. Berdeja is presenting on behalf of all the investigators, now a multi-center study uh, with GPRC5D. So <clears throat> I think that's very important, that's very encouraging because we will pretty much already now be looking at, okay, what's next, right? It's it's great if we have a lot of BCMA options, but you know, another target, antigen target, likely will be um, potentially giving us more bang for the buck. And I think what's encouraging to see, you know, we'll have data with both talketamab um, and another uh, GPRC uh, 5D device specific as well, but also with these multi-center GPRC 5D CAR team is that we have some data with patients who's had prior BCMA exposure. Now, the numbers are still small, um, but it's encouraging to see in terms of the response rate for that patient population so far seems to be at 60% for the CAR-T, which is actually pretty good, and particularly 
majority of those patients were post another CAR T. So it's a CAR T to a CAR T, right? Which we always wonder logistically, right? Going through that twice, how to, exactly. So I know still very small number, but very, very encouraging early signal. And I think the other question, you know, that I'm sure is on all of our mind is, is the access. You know, it's great we have this modality now that's approved, but unfortunately we've seen the manufacturing access has been a big struggle. Um, for all of us. And um, so, you know, we'll see some additional data presented with the Allogeneic uh, platform, Allo 715. Um, that's off-the-shelf option, you know, something people have been very excited about. Um, and I think, you know, definitely something to continue to, to watch out for. Um, in my mind, there may also be another potential low-hanging fruit because aloe, there's still a lot of challenges in terms of additional immunosuppressions. Uh, we're not necessarily seeing better signals, we're seeing response definitely and, and no concern in terms of increased toxicity, so all very encouraging, but I think there's still room to push the, the auto, uh, autologous CAR-T platform. And so to that end, we're seeing some data um, coming out of China with uh, Dr. Du uh, with the fast CAR T platform, the rapid manufacturing. That yeah, that's, <laughs> a, a good name is always a good way to, to start a program, right? And and there, it's the manufacturing is is under two days. So really, we know across all studies, you know, 10, 15, sometimes up to 20% of the patients fall off from collection to, you know, not being able to make it to dosing for a variety of reasons. So I think having that rapid manufacturing, you know, platform could really potentially open it up to a lot more patients. The other thing we're seeing some signals of um, is with that faster manufacturing platform, and we've also seen that with previous year presentations with um, the um, other rapid manufacturing, it seems like the cell dose is a lock fold lower, you know, looking at uh, where they already see in a clinical response and dialing things back from, you know, side effects profile, which seems to suggest maybe these are also more potent cells because they're, you know, less, they don't spend as much time in, in, in manufacturing well, outside naive. the body. Exactly, so, so to both of those, you know, I think that's another area of development to watch for in terms of, you know, are those things that can help improve access for our patient to this very important modality of treatment. For sure, there's some exciting things happening and I think we're sort of in the middle of it, right? Like, it, it, actually, I think we're still at the beginning of it. Um, it's ex different antigens, how do you make the CAR-Ts, allo, auto, how do you improve auto, going earlier, and then in the end, the access, because if we go earlier, that means even more patients are gonna need this. So I think that's, you know, this is exactly what we need to do to figure this out so we can get it to our patients. Absolutely, absolutely. And I suspect if we have this conversation again next year, it'll be, you know, so, so many more data. Yeah, so that's great for our patients. So thank you very much. I look forward to all your presentations. Thank and you. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk and subscribe to VJHemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time.